Reading Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. Well, uh, actually, if you've just wandered in and this is your first time here, you are very welcome. Uh, and it might feel a bit odd talking about 10 years. Indeed, if you've only been here for uh, a year or so, that might seem a bit odd. But um, actually, by the nature of the church, we make our history quite quickly. And uh, you can come and be fairly central to all we do quite quickly here. But for those who have been here since the beginning, uh, you are greatly honored. And um, you have aged better than I as I look around uh, at those who have been here. Well, most of you, not all of you, let's be honest. <laughs> Oops. Um, shall I pray? That would be better, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Our Father, indeed, we want to give you great uh, thanks and praise, and all glory goes to you. Anything that's been done in this uh, church is as a result of your work, and so we pray you'd be at work again. The work that you do week on week, day by day in our lives, but uh, week by week, would you be at work speaking, speaking words that transform lives so that we live even more for the glory of your name. Amen. Actually, this is, um, I've never done this before. We've preached the same sermon morning and evening uh, for the first time ever, and if you didn't realize that and you're here again, welcome. Uh, Fill in the blanks uh, as uh, we go along. But uh, that's because it seemed appropriate to do that uh, on the, the 10th anniversary of the church. It's, it's, it's something that we celebrate together. But uh, this Psalm 65, which we're looking at, is a great psalm of thanksgiving. And uh, therefore, it fits very much into what we've been thinking about on Sunday nights for the month of January, which is the theme of contentment, taking a break from uh, normally working through a book of the Bible and thinking about this topic of uh, being content in a world which is rarely so. Uh, in the modern day and age. And I uh, recommended before, as I say, not for everyone, not everyone's cup of tea. It's um, uh, getting 400 years old almost. But uh, this book, Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan writer, the, the rare jewel of Christian contentment, is an excellent book. Uh, it's outstanding on the theme. 
And uh, one of the things he raises up repeatedly is uh, one reason or one factor in our lack of contentment is a lack of thankfulness. Because if you fixate on what you don't have, that'll make you glum. If you're thankful for what will you do, it'll increase your contentment. So quite simply, as he puts it, as one of his key truths, dwell upon or consider how great the things that God has given you are. And relatively, how small the things you lack are. What God has given you is sensational. Now, that, if you're a Christian, that is undoubtedly true. What God hasn't given you, what you lack, relatively, it's a small thing. Worry, think about this. Dwell on this would, um, would be the great thing to do. And that's what we're thinking about this evening. That's the, the key truth. We've been saying uh, as we've gone along that contentment, really, it's, um, uh, it's a deep satisfaction in the heart that comes from believing and delighting in God's fatherly care over all of your life. That's, that's, the, main, that's a, the, the, the full truth or definition of contentment. Uh, put more simply, the, the reason we've said that people often lack contentment, contentment is they expect too much of this world and too little from Jesus Christ. And thankfulness really plays into that. Because if you remember what you have, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you won't worry so much about what you don't have in this world. That's what we're thinking on tonight. Now, uh, it's not just a, um, a way of feeding into the theme of contentment, thankfulness. It's fairly fundamental to what it means to, to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. So uh, elsewhere, when you get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 will say, okay, God is angry. God's righteous anger is being revealed against this world. Okay, why is that? He says the reason is, Romans 1.21, although mankind knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Now that's striking. Because we're probably thankful, I mean, ingratitude is, you know, it's not a big thing, is it? Actually, the Bible says it's right at the heart of what sin is. A lack of thankfulness to God defines, almost, was one definition of what it means to sin. Rebel against God, reject him. So it matters. Uh, thankfulness matters. It's a big thing. So what we want to do tonight is to think, uh, what can we consider that God has given, which is so very good, uh, and therefore think less uh, about what we lack? Now, corporately, Corporately, we need to do that, and on a 10th anniversary of a church, it's, uh, it's good to do that. Corporately, we can easily think about the things we lack. I think, oh, well, yes, it's all right, isn't it? But, um, I mean, more people, seeing more people become Christians, that would be a lovely thing. Better, deeper, more accountable friendships, that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, more space for Sunday school, oh, that would be really useful. More loos for the women, oh, that would be fantastic. And many would be delighted with it. I mean, you could easily sort of and dwell on the things we don't have. And believe me, as a church, I am more aware of the things we lack than anyone else and have greater daydreams, probably. But much healthier to dwell on what God has done and given us and be thankful. And in our own personal lives as well. It's very easy to dwell on the things that we lack and fixate on them and obsess about them and daydream about them much healthier to remember the things we have. Just, I mean, in stupid little day-to-day -day things. You know, I, I wake up, woke up this week and thought to myself, 
got a cold and um, was very disappointed with that. And you get the drugs out of the cupboard and think, it's been only a week since I got rid of a cold. I had about three days and now I've got a cold. But, um, and that's annoying and you could, you could dwell on that. But of course the truth is most of the time, I don't get up most mornings in the year and think, my airwaves work like a dream. <laughs> my nose can smell everything, my ears are, oh, it's just wonderful, I, oh, no coughs, oh, my, my, I don't know what they are, my bronchial tubes are just fantastic today. No one does that, no one does that. We just take, when health comes, we take it for granted, when it's not there, we get really disappointed, particularly if you're a man, you get really disappointed with a cold, and um, it's easy to do that. And of course, in slightly larger things, we can fixate on the things that we lack. The, the money that we might lack, the property that we might lack, the relationships that we might lack, whatever they may be, we can fixate on them and be unthankful, ungrateful. And God would say to us, no, 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 that robs you of contentment and it robs me of glory. Give thanks. Give thanks. That's what we need to do. So what we want to do tonight is slightly readjust the, um, uh, the weighing scales. If you think of those old-fashioned kitchen scales, you, know, you have two pans. I think they're pans uh, on either side, the old-fashioned ones. And uh, very easily, we just look on what we lack, and we look on the lack side. And so we can wake up or we can get into a place where we're thinking, hmm, how's my life? Oh, it's pretty disappointing at the moment. Look at all the things I lack. And uh, what we need to do is just slightly, oh, no, hold on. What is in the other pan? Oh, my goodness. Not so bad. Actually, if I think more about that, pretty good. And I can be thankful. And that's what we want to do tonight. Now, um, uh, Psalm 65 is a gem. It's a little gem of thanksgiving. I, I haven't really spent much time in it uh, uh, before this week. It breaks down happily into uh, three little uh, sections, really, uh, one to four, five to eight, nine to twelve. Uh, but overall, it seems to be a psalm that's uh, generated or prompted by God answering the people's prayer for rain. So when you get to the uh, uh, verses 9 to 12, very obvious, uh, you care for the land, you water it, the streams are filled with water, there's water, verse 10, there's water, there's water, there's water. So this is a prayer of thanksgiving for rain. Now, that's less exciting in January in the UK when it's just rainy and grey, but clearly they've been going through a time of, fam- of, um, uh, of drought. And so rain essential for the harvest. That's the occasion that prompts it. Praise God for rain. You may not feel like that tomorrow morning, but if, you know, if you're in their climate, praise God for the rain. That's the occasion. But there are many things here to thank God for. Let's just um, break it down. Let's look at the three sections. We'll work through them. So let's give thanks to God. Here, here'll be some encouragements for us. First then, verses one to four. Give thanks to God for his, well, I'll put it there, his atonement that brings us near. Verses 1 to 4, verse 1. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. It's entirely fitting to praise you, God. Uh, That's entirely appropriate. And uh, we're going to praise you. Yes, I'm sure with song, but primarily with obedience. Verse 1. We're going to praise you by living lives which obey you. That's the sort of praise that you delight in. Why? Well, verse 2, you, you answer our prayers. You've answered our prayers for, um, for rain and a harvest here. Wonderful. But then verses 3 and 4, actually the main point here is when we praise you because we can know you, we have access to you. Which I think is a striking point. It's a, it's a psalm or, or, or a song prompted by rain to provide a harvest, to give them food. And yet the first thing that 
David wants to dwell on is, Lord, we praise you most of all for the fact that we can pray to you. We have access to you. We know you. We praise you for the atonement, the forgiveness that brings us near. So verses 3 and 4, when we were overwhelmed with sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We're filled with the good things of your house. Now, this is something, of course, that gets taken for granted. This forgiveness, or as the footnote says, atonement for sin. Uh, I guess taken for granted if, if by many who wouldn't call themselves Christians, if that's you here tonight, um, most of those who wouldn't call themselves a Christian would say, well, you know, God gives me forgiveness of sins. Woohoo! I mean, great, good for him. Uh, I don't really need that. I mean, God will, God will accept me. God will be pleased to see me, I'm sure, when I, I finally arrive. So, so people just, well, okay, that's all right. And of course, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, the fact that God has provided forgiveness of sins... You think, well, thank you very much. I've, I've heard that most weeks for quite some years now. Uh, most of our songs seem to be about that. I get that. Well, yeah, very good. Thank you very much. And we just take it for granted. Now, what do we do about that? Jesus tells a very uh, non-interesting story. It's a, it's a real account of his life. Uh, Luke chapter 17 uh, Jesus uh, wandering on the road, and he's met by ten lepers in Luke 17. Now, in the first century, uh, to be a leper, awful. Uh, a disease that you're expecting, it'll lead to your death, and uh, it'll cut you off. So if you're a leper, you don't want to pass it on to anyone else, so you're cut off from your family. So you're a 40-year-old, I don't know, a 30-year-old man, your wife and your children, you don't see them. You're cut off. Cut, you can't work because you can't get a job with anyone else, so you're dependent upon scraps. You're a beggar. Your life goes from being very pleasant to being cut off from your friends, from your family. You're a beggar. Psychologically, I, I don't know how this, what this would do to you, but if you're wandering along the road as a leper and you see someone, someone coming your way, you have to shout out, stay away, unclean, leper. Now, what does that do to your mind? What does that do to you psychologically that you keep having to say to people, stay away from me, I am unclean? I mean, that would, that would really screw you up, wouldn't it? These people, their lives are miserable and they're looking at death. So ten of them, they meet Jesus and they say, Lord, have mercy. Uh, and we're told, uh, Jesus says to them very simply uh, in Luke 17, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went on their way, they were cleansed. Just, oh, that's it. Just on the, oh, hold on a minute. You know, I wonder what we're going to go. We're going to go to see the priest. What's going to happen? We're going to see the priest. I'll tell you what, your face is getting better, you know. Well, yours isn't bad. Oh, my goodness, it's ha- What? It's done. That's it. We didn't have to do anything. Oh, my goodness. Ten of them. One of them goes back and thanks Jesus. Now, when you read that story, you think, what? You've gone from no life... You can go and see your family, you can go and get work, your life is utterly transformed. And only one of you could be bothered to go back and say uh, say thank you. Bizarre. Now, spiritually, our condition is far worse than leprosy. Far worse than leprosy. As uh, David put it uh, in Psalm 65, verse 3, we are... 
overwhelmed by sin. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's like being buried in some sort of avalanche or perhaps an earthquake in a city and just buried. Last night, um, uh, very strange, nine o'clock uh, on our road, some, um, a roof fell down off one of the houses and pulled all the cornicing off the three houses next to it. So all of a sudden, these, all these roofs started collapsing and just, just destroyed all the front walls and uh, the gates all smashed, all the windows smashed. It's all fairly dramatic. The whole road uh, um, had to be evacuated. They thought it was a gas explosion. Uh, and it just, just collapsed and everything was just buried in rubble. Imagine just being buried in rubble and you can't get out. There's no way. You're just buried beneath meters of rubble. You're hopeless you're running out of air, and you're about to die. And David says, spiritually, that's, that's what we were like. We were cut off from God. We were spiritually dead. We were without hope in this world. We were addicted to uh, sinning. The Bible would say slavery. We were addicted to compulsive patterns of behavior in this world. And all we could look forward to in the next one was an eternity of being shut out from God. And that has all changed. Jesus Christ has come down and he's reached into the rubble and he's pulled us out. He's come into our lives when you and I could have done nothing. And he's saved us. His death upon the cross is the final atonement for sin. It's where forgiveness of sins comes from. We were hopeless. And David gets that. We were overwhelmed by sin. And you forgave us. And what flows out of that? Well, blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We're filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Now, uh, in the 10th century BC, yes, the temple was the place of plenty. If you were uh, starving, you could go there for food. If, if, of course, if you need a forgiveness, you go there and offer a sacrifice. If you're hopeless, it's the place of great hope. It, it's a place of abundance and blessing, God's temple in the center of Jerusalem. This side, of, uh, this place, in this time in history, this side of the cross, it's not a physical place. It's just knowing God. It's knowing him is being brought near into his temple courts. And the best thing about it is that it is permanent. And David knew that. Good harvests, bad harvests, they come and go. Having access to God, that lasts. So good things in this life. The, um, uh, uh, in the summertime, uh, Buckingham Palace is open and you decide to go for a visit. You queue up, you get your ticket and you get your little tour of Buckingham Palace. And it's nice um, because it's a nice house. The Queen doesn't think so. Apparently it's her least favorite house. But, you know, I wouldn't moan. Um, uh, and, you know, it's a nice house, 44 guest bedrooms. You can uh, share around, have one or two of your pals to come and stay with you. Uh, so, you know, it's a ni- you know, this is a nice house. And you enjoy wandering around and seeing some paintings worth millions. You say, oh, that's a nice one. Um, it's, it's interesting. That's nice. But very different is if uh, you get an invitation through the post and uh, it's handwritten from the Queen. She's got very neat writing. Uh, handwritten. And she says, I'd like you to come and live in my house and enjoy the trappings of living in my house. And in fact, when I'm dead and gone, you can stay here. You can inherit it. I'll I'll guarantee that for you. I want you to have all the blessings of my house. And so, you know, you go and it's it's all right, you know. 
Uh, the food is pretty good most nights. Uh, public transport, uh, no more, no more. Now you get your limousine with police outriders. It's much faster to get through London that way. It's, right, it's good. There, there are great blessings to that. And the Queen guarantees it. She says, oh, yes, this is all yours. She's invited you in. Now, that's a small thing. Trappings of this, very good. This world is a good place. But for God himself to say, come and live with me. Come and enjoy blessings from me. I'll guarantee them. I'll underwrite them. They will be permanent. They will last forever. Come and enjoy them. Well, that's, that is wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. See, these blessings, they don't go. They're permanent being brought near to live with God. Now, of course, we don't enjoy all those blessings literally, physically now, but one day we will, literally, physically, we'll enjoy them all. And so David, rightly, he understands this and says, we've got rain, and that's fantastic, and we've got a terrific harvest now. But above all, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we know you, that you've forgiven our sins, we have access to you. That never changes. If you're a Christian here tonight, that will never change. Give thanks for that. Now, far more briefly, um, uh, what is it, the second thing? Give thanks for God's rule over the earth. Give thanks for his uh, rule over the earth, verses uh, 5 to 8. Here, then, is, uh, he's, uh, he's being thankful, really, for God's control. The world is not uh, chaotically spilling out of control, wreaking havoc. God is sovereign over all things. So you get the frame here of this section, verses 5 to 8, making the same point, that um, it's good news for all people. So verse 5, you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth of the farthest seas. Verse 8, those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and, every, and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. So it's good news for everyone, he's saying. And then what is good news? Well, that's in the centre, verses 6 and 7. God is in control. So verse 6, you formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. Now he's not tangent. He's not naive. David is not denying the work of volcanoes, the movement of tectonic plates. He's not saying that. He's just poetically saying God is the one who put the Andes in their place. He's the one who built the Alps up like they were made of plasticine. Poetically, he's done that. He's in control. Verse 7, you still the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. And here's the implication. And the turmoil of the nations. It's the main point being made here. It slightly doesn't fit the, um, uh, the pattern of the, of, of the verses. It's sort of highlighted. You control the turmoil of the nations. Now, that is a good thing. Practically. In the UK or in the West, give thanks for a stable democracy. Give thanks. You might not like this government. You might have all sorts of issues with it. You know, debate that afterwards. But give thanks that there is a government and it's stable and it's democratic and it underpins law and order and it underpins the rule of law. Give thanks for those things. Of course, we take them for granted. But many, many, of course, want to move to the UK from where they live because these things are so great. 
give thanks for them. It'd be very different if they weren't there. So imagine you go home and um, your, ha your house, your flat is being burgled, and you think, oh, quick, you know, 999, and you get a recorded message, this service has been discontinued. We are afraid there is no longer any uh, fire or ambulance or police service. We recommend you go to our website, www.youreonyourownnow.org, where you'll find useful advice on catching, capturing criminals, healing diseases, and putting out fires. And um, you think, oh, that's a bit disappointing. What do I, I'm on my own now. And it'd be chaos, of course. Chaos. Give thanks. It's a very good thing that we have stability. So give thanks that God rules over the earth. Yeah, give thanks for that. That'd be a practical thing. The last thing here, that truth, which is a fairly general truth, God rules over the earth, um, David applies it into their particular scenario and setting and says, look, let's give thanks for God's provision year by year by year. So uh, verse, uh, verses 9 to 12, it's a picture of abundance. Verse 9, uh, God is pictured as a gardener. He's sort of wandering around his garden with his watering can in verse 9. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water. Well, yes, the streams are normally filled with water. But he's saying there's water now. We're so very grateful for the water when we had a drought. To provide the people with corn, for so you've ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its crops. Verse 11 is this lovely picture. It's as if God is a farmer with his, what do you call them, farmer's hat. I don't mean that. Anyway, farmer's hat. And he's riding his little horse and cart along a, a, an old country lane. And corn is just falling off it. There's just too much to stay on the cart. There's abundance overflowing here. It's a very lovely rustic picture. Even the meadows and, look, if you don't sing, says David, verses 12 and 13, if we don't sing, well, look, even the, the meadows and the valleys are going to sing because God is so generous. He's given so much. He's provided year by year. Now, 10 years into the life of a church, uh, for myself, this is one of the things I, give, I do give thanks for, that God has provided year by year. Uh, many, perhaps most, won't quite realize how it works. The, the church owns nothing. There's no assets. We, uh, we rent this building cheaply, but uh, we rent this building, we rent the office space, we rent all accommodation for stuff. We own nothing. We have no assets still, <laughs> 10 years on. Every year there's a, there's a budget. And uh, in October you look at it and think, oh dear. That's a significant, you know, the, the figures are compiled, oh dear. Uh, it's the same amount, the same budget every year, but people move in the same thing. Oh dear, how are we going to fill it? I don't know how we're going to do it. And every year God has provided. He has prompted generosity in the, in the hearts of, of you and me, and, and it's been provided. Well, halfway through the year, and you look at the figures, and you think, oh, how are we going to do it this year? This year is going to be the one where he doesn't do it, isn't it? Um, well, let's, let's pray on that God would do it again. Again, by the nature of a city center church, every, every summer there are people who move. People move country, move different parts of the country for jobs. That, that happens. That happens by the nature of a city center. And you look around, you think, oh my goodness, how are we going to carry on? Who's going to sort out the food? Who's going to run the, the international cafe? Who, who's going to lead the small groups? Who's going to lead the home groups? Who's going to run the Sunday school? Who's going to play the drums? Who's going to love me? I don't, who's, who's going to do all these things? When there's, how's it going to happen every year? I mean, some years better than others. <laughs> but every year, we've, it's all worked. We've not shut anything down. Everything's taken place. All the ministries have been filled. 
every year. God has provided. And actually, when you take a step back, as, as some of those slides did, oh, he's grown us a bit too in maturity, a little in number. It's a wonderful thing. Give thanks for his provision. And, of course, personally, we need to give thanks. Give thanks for the things God has given to you and me. Again, very easy to fixate on what we lack. Very easy to do that for our daydreams, for our wandering. You know, what do you do when you wander down the road? What are you worrying about? What do you wonder? Oh, it'd be great if this changed. What would it be? It struck me in, uh, in uh, doing this. I used to be much better at being thankful. I used to be much better. On a daily basis, I'd start my um, uh, time of uh, devotion or of prayer in the mornings with the Lord by being thankful, expressing thanks for something. I just thought that was a good way to start. And it is a good way to start. But I realized I got out of that habit. I had this daft little mnemonic to, to help me uh, get through the week. So it went a bit like Sunday, salvation. It's a good thing to start the week. You know, Sunday, primarily, give thanks for that. Monday, money. God has given me all I need to survive. Tuesday, church. Wonderful to be part of a church that's encouraging and supportive. Wednesday, work. I have good days, I have bad days, but God has given me a job, and overall I like it. That's a good thing. Thursday, it gets a bit weak. Uh, Thursday, thanks for basics in life. So food and clothing, uh, it gets worse than that. Uh, Friday, friends and family. Saturday, santé, health. It just didn't work otherwise. I was, you know, uh, it's, it's forced, obviously. But um, it was a healthy habit that I, somewhere along the line, just dropped. So I'm back into it again. Uh, just, just start to give thanks. Something very, okay. Family. Well, have you got any new family since last week? No, just, just the same ones. Well, okay, well, nothing's changed then. Yeah, and that's great. Give thanks. Give thanks. Friends, got any new friends this week? No, well, nothing to give thanks for. Well, you know, friendships have deepened. And they're there, and they encourage me. Give thanks. Money, got any more money? Been a good week, win the lottery. Don't do that, don't, 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 don't play the lottery. But um, uh, no, 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 just, but God has provided. This week, I've had enough again. God has provided. Give thanks. Give thanks. So Psalm 65 says, give thanks. Give thanks to God. It's not an exhaustive list, of course, there may be many other things that uh, we could add on to it, but give thanks. But, um, what about that verse we had read right at the beginning? 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Really? I mean, Psalm 65 is okay, isn't it? All right for you, David. Yeah, you're having, you're having a knees up because you've, you know, you've just got all the harvest in. Life was going badly. Then it rains. You get a bumper crop. Of course, you give thanks. I was a bit skint. Money lands in my lap. I'd be thankful. That's not hard. Thank you very much. But what about when it doesn't happen? What about when you pray and you don't get the rain? And you pray and it doesn't add up that month? And you pray, and the sickness isn't taken away. Well, I, I mean, we thought a little about this again um, two weeks ago. Where Paul, again, remember this? If you were here two weeks ago, uh, Philippians 4, Paul says, contentment is not dependent on circumstances. And here, similarly, he can say, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, we haven't got much, but briefly on this. He doesn't say give thanks for everything, for all circumstances. I mean, you 
it needs to be slightly nuanced here, but it doesn't say give thanks for, circum for all circumstances. It, it would be strange to give thanks for hunger because of a bad harvest. It's odd to give thanks for bereavement. But you can give thanks in those situations. And the Bible suggests there are two main reasons for that. Um, it's a massive issue, but just to, to state them almost briefly. How can you give thanks in all circumstances? Well, one would be knowing God is a father. And again, we did more on this two weeks ago, but knowing God is a father who in your circumstances and in your situation, you might not choose it, but he has provided it and he has put you in that place for your good. And the second one, which this psalm has much more on, is knowing that you're forgiven. Knowing that you're forgiven matters a great deal. The, the verses that we began almost with, verses 3 and 4, knowing that you were overwhelmed by sins, but God has forgiven you and brought you to live with him, brought you near to live with him. Now, knowing that does enable you to give thanks in all circumstances. Because that is a truth that undermines the disappointment, that cuts away at the frustration. The reformer Martin Luther had a lovely expression uh, on this. He says, the sea of God's riches should swallow up our particular afflictions. Now, what he means by that is, if you get a bucket of water and you uh, throw it on your floor at home, you could try this later. If you get a bucket of water and throw it on the floor at home, that's a mess. And it's a nuisance, and you've got to clear it up. If you get a bucket of water and throw it into the sea, it just, just disappears, it just goes. And you see Luther's point. If you, if you do understand the condition you were in, and that, to put it in the bluntest possible terms, God has saved you from hell for heaven, then that is a truth which is transforming. If you get that in your head and your heart, deeply, and the sea of God's mercy will, well, it'll, it absorbs the disappointments of this life. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying it takes them away, of course. Pain is still pain. Frustration is still there. If you're sick, you're still sick, of course. Someone asked me by uh, email this week, how can, it be, how can it be that the Bible says it's okay to desire to change life uh, and yet to be content at the same time? How can I sit here, sick, longing for my sickness to go and yet still be content? How do I, how do I have both those things at the same time? Well, of course, if you're sick, do everything you can to get well. Go to the doctor. Of course, it's normal to want to be restored. But at the same time, you can still give thanks that God has been merciful to you. And that does undermine the disappointments of this life. It doesn't remove them. But it does transform them. As I read one interview with a, a Christian, I put it in context, this is an, he was giving this interview um, 1,800 years ago, but it was recorded, <laughs> uh, an interview, uh, a man called Anthony, who was blind, uh, became blind uh, just when he was about 40 years old, and someone asked him, 
Do you rage at God for your blindness? How do you deal with that? And his comment was, it's very lovely, I thought, if a little eccentric. Um, of, course it's a, of course there are frustrations. Of course I would prefer not to have lost my sight. But when I get frustrated, I say to myself, Anthony, why are you complaining? You lack something that insects have, but you possess something that the angels have. You lack sight like an insect, but you have access to God like the angels. Now, really, Anthony, what are you moaning about? That's a slightly eccentric way of expressing the same truth, isn't it? But when you see that clearly, that is a transforming truth. As we've sung already, uh, just just before we had the reading, to God be the glory. That last verse, great things he's taught us, great things he's done, great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. We've had some great things. And if you've been around for a while, you've seen some great things take place at church. Some great things. But, purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our rapture, when Jesus we see. Of course. And if you don't believe Luther yet, that the sea of God's mercies absorb the pain the afflictions. If you don't believe that yet, when you're dead, if you're a believer, and you're dead and you go to be with Christ, in 10 years' time, well, it doesn't need to be that long, as soon as you're there, you'll believe it's true. In 100 years' time, of course you'll know it's true. In 1,000 years' time, what was I complaining about? I had this to look forward to? Now, of course, look... This only works if you're a believer. This, is only, this only works, this only makes sense if you have the hope of heaven. Of course that's true. So as a church overall, we have many, many things to be thankful for. And it's, of course it's nice to have, I can't tell you the state of the loos before they were done. I mean, they were awful. And you know, in a few, we've got to sort that out downstairs. Of course, it'd be nice to have that. It's nice to have a kitchen. It's nice to have an office. It's nice to be relatively warm. Those are nice things. But nothing compares to the fact that what we've seen, if you've been here a while, you've seen God utterly transform lives, particularly take people from death, spiritually, to life in him. Nothing compares to that. If he's done that in your life, do give thanks. Oh, there are lots of things to give thanks for. Day by day, the little things, the small things, his provision. Now, that's no, it's no small thing overall. It's, it's a big thing. But compared to what he's given you in Jesus Christ, compared to, his, compared to his mercy, compared to the forgiveness of sins, give thanks for that. If you're a Christian, you'll have forgotten it. You'll have taken it for granted. We need to give thanks for that. Let me, uh, let me lead us as we do so now. Our loving Father, we, you know our hearts. You know our tendency to focus on what we lack rather than giving you thanks for what we have. Would you uh, help us? Would you help us to come, become people who are increasingly thankful and grateful to you? And Father, even if there are many things we lack in this world, and from time to time they do get us down and we get despondent, 
Would, for those of us who, who know you and love you, for those of us who are Christians, would you again drive more deeply into us the, the wonder of your mercy? That you have forgiven our transgressions when we were overwhelmed by our sins. So would we give thanks to you? And as a church, we'd be able to give you wonderful thanks when in eternity we see those who have come to faith, even here, and praise you for your work amongst us. Would we be a people of thanks, we ask. Amen.